Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author Kate Blair, the author of The Hawthorne Inheritance. Author Nathaniel Hawthorne's sister, Louisa, drowns in an 1852 steamship accident. Cousin John Stevens Dyke suspects foul play. Reading family documents bequeathed to him by Cousin Elizabeth will prove his theory of a tragic love triangle, but first he must conquer his own demons. Will he and Pittsburgh lawyer Tom Blair assure justice is served? Kate Dyke Blair enjoys writing historical fiction featuring her Massachusetts Hawthorne cousins and her Pennsylvania Blair clan. She also pens short plays, adapts scripts for area theater company. As a member of the Screen Actors Guild, Kate performs in films and television series. She resides with her family in Concord, Massachusetts. Kate Blair, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Lawrence. This is such a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. There's so much to talk about. And uh, right off the bat, since I have such an interest in history, and you see the name Nathaniel Hawthorne, so... For our listeners, maybe you could explain your connection to this famous person. Absolutely. So, uh, as you mentioned, my name is Kate Dyke Blair, and the family lore around the Dyke family was that one of our ancestors, John Dyke, married into the Hawthorne uh, family. The Dykes had originally come from Ireland uh, in 1635, and settled in Massachusetts and went up the coast from Plymouth and then finally settled in Beverly and Salem. And so that's where John Dyke met Hawthorne's aunt Priscilla in Salem in 1815. So that's the family connection there. But because when I was a kid, you know, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have all those other things, all we had were history books. It was enough that we actually named our second son Nathaniel Um, But I didn't really know how John Dyke and Louisa and uh, her aunt and Hawthorne's aunt were all connected until uh, my father uh, died in 2009. And I was tasked by my mother to go through his office and clean out all of his effects. Now, my father had was the genial proprietor of the Vermont bookshop. And uh, in Middlebury, Vermont, and he had uh, done some research when he he sold the store when he was 70 because he could no longer remember his customers' names. At 69, I can relate. Um, and he then he suffered a few health setbacks, and he did a lot of genealogical research while he was healing. Um, so when the bookman, so I found wow. interesting things like that. Yeah, cool. Um, lots of old um, first editions of things, many things signed by Robert Frost because. Frost was one of my father's big customers. Um, but I also found a sheaf of information that he had, he had taken off the internet about the, the Dyke and Blair families. Um, so what I didn't know was that although, I mean, I knew that, that John Dyke had married into the family, what I didn't know was that he was with Hawthorne's younger sister, Louisa, when she died on the Henry Clay steamboat disaster in 1852. That was the big piece of information that I was missing. Now, she was 44, he was 69, he was married to Louise's aunt, and I thought to myself, okay, so 
why were they together on the boat? Where was his wife? Uh-huh. And this was 1852. There should have been a chaperone or something. Yes, they were related. They were related by marriage. Not They were not um, blood relations. Um, and it just seemed really odd to me that this couple would be traveling. They had gone before they were on the Henry Clay. They had gone to Saratoga Springs for a vacation for two weeks. All the historians, when I did some research later on the Henry Clay steamboat disaster, all the historians said, oh, well, she was his caretaker. And somehow that just didn't sit well with me. And that was the germ of the story. Yeah. What was she taking care of, we wonder? Good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, go ahead. I, I'm very curious about the, uh, all right, so the steamboat disaster, maybe a little bit about that. 1852, where did that happen? Right. So this happened on the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. Um, the Henry Clay steamboat was a steamboat that ran up and down the river and brought people back and forth to New York from, you know, Albany and, and other towns down the Hudson River. And one of the things that the captains of the steamboats did was they would race each other, you know, as, as kind of PR, like, well, my boat beat the Armenia, sure. know, that kind of thing. So uh, uh, Stephen Collins, who was the collier, who was the captain of the of this particular boat, was racing the Armenia, which was another boat. They were racing up and down, and they actually collided at one point oh, boy. and then separated. But what happened was the boiler in the Henry Clay steamboat disaster was now overheated. And as the boat kept going, the uh, boiler actually exploded and the flames came up through the wheelbase into the midship area. And all the people who were in that middle part of the ship either had to stay there and and died of flames, you know, burned to death, or they jumped overboard and drowned. Um, and that's what Louisa did. Louisa jumped overboard, and because she was wearing, you know, the 40 pounds of clothes that right. women of those days wore, she drowned. Whereas what the what the captain then did was he actually turned the boat into the uh, shoreline, and John John Dyke actually walked off the ship onto the shore, and that's why he survived. Wow. So my question is: first of all, you're very right. What was she caretaking? He had a bad knee. That's, you know, that was that was well documented that he complained about his bad knee and he went to Saratoga Springs supposedly for the water cure. But if she was his caretaker, why were they not together? Why did she not stay with him? Why were they separated? And and uh, if she was his caretaker, she would have been with him. You know, very big question for me. Yeah. Yeah, this is fascinating. So, I mean, this is a novel the Hawthorne inheritance, but it also has a thread of uh, some very interesting history to it. All right. So tell us a little as well about your Blair connections. I know what I know about Blair is very little, but I know there's a Blair, Pennsylvania and a Blair County. And uh, I believe is a character, Stephen Blair, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he run for president or he was, help me out. <laughs> what, what don't I know about the Blairs? <laughs> So the Blairs were Scots, and in uh, the 1700s, they decided to escape Scotland because Scotland, because England was trying to take land away from the, from the landowners in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So the Blairs escaped uh, Scotland and came to the United States and settled in Pennsylvania. Um, John Blair, for whom Blair County is named, uh, settled in, uh, uh, in the uh, Junita River area, mm-hmm. and he... Uh, he and his uh, other people that he lived with started a mill, which then became a steel mill. 
So they became they they were more interested in this in the steel industry. And in fact, Thomas S. Blair, who was a character in my novel, um, came up with the Blair direct process, which is a kind of steel process. Um, and it it they the steel uh, industry didn't use it all that much, but it was no it was well known still in the steel industry as being a good process. Um, and there is now still uh, Blair Strip Steel, which is a strip steel mill in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh. Okay. All right. Well, so that, that, that's the Blair connection. We're talking to Kate Dyke Blair, the author of The Hawthorne Inheritance. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books offers work by independent authors. Our imprint, Catamount Press, explores literature and creative nonfiction of the Northern Appalachia. The writings of P.J. Piccarello, including the Northern Appalachia Review Series, an annual publication for under-recognized literature. Also check out Dennis LeBaire's Appalachian Gross Dog, a boomer's memoir. Find these and more at sunburypress.com. I'm back with Kate Dyke Blair, the author of The Hawthorne Inheritance. We've been talking about the Hawthorns and the Blairs, and uh, an 1852 steamship accident on the Hudson. So I guess maybe uh, we'll get back into the novel now. Maybe give us a, an overview of, of the plot. Sure. So um, my cousin, six times removed, <laughs> whose name was John Stephen Stike, was actually Nathaniel Hawthorne's best friend. Um, John Stephen Stike was John Dyke's uh, son, and when John married uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's aunt Priscilla, then John Stephen Stike, of course, entered the household and became a friend of, of Hawthorne's. Um, and so when, you, when I did my research, I did a lot of research about the Hawthorne's. And one of the things that I noticed was in the letters, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne and John Stephen Stike had, wrote lots and lots of letters to each other. Um, John Stephen Stike and Priscilla Manning, his stepmother, his evil stepmother, did not get along. And he actually left Salem and went out to Steubenville, Ohio, in his 20s, because he just couldn't handle his, his stepmother. Um, and there are letters between him and Nathaniel Hawthorne, with Hawthorne being very concerned about him, saying, you know, gee, we haven't heard from you in a long time. Your mother and father are very concerned. And in fact, that's the letter that I start my book with. That is an actual letter from Nathaniel Hawthorne expressing his concern about his cousin, John Stephen Stike. Mm. So I use John Stephen Stike as my narrator. Um, it is, and it, the entire book is historical, um, but it, it encompasses a lot of time between 1815 and 1872 or so. Um, and during that time, we, we see... Um, the Hawthorns and John Stevens Dyke's uh, relationship, uh, John Dyke's relationship with his wife, Louise's relationship with, with her, her uncle by marriage, and how that grows and how that romance grows. So it's a novel, it's a romance novel and historical novel, and I felt that I had to write it because Nobody really knows who Louisa Hawthorne is. Right. I'm sure you know who Louisa May Alcott is, but who has ever heard of Louisa Hawthorne? And somehow I think she decided that she was going to get me to write this book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, when I was researching this book, I went to many of the different historical houses in Concord, Massachusetts, 
Um, one of the big ones, of course, was the uh, the mansion, the the house that not, that Nathaniel Hawthorne bought, which was the Wayside. Um, that was where not, Nathaniel Hawthorne was living when he learned that that his his uh, younger sister had died in the Henry Clay steamboat disaster. And so I wanted to go there and kind of feel the vibes of what it must have been like for him. And what I didn't know at the time was that that mansion was uh, not open. They were doing a lot of uh, renovations to it. So all I could do was sort of stand on the porch. And then I went on what was called the Larch Path because Nathaniel Hawthorne, when he learned that his younger sister had died, actually went and just went up on the larch path and grieved. Uh -huh. And I decided that that's what I would do. I would go on the larch path and just sit there and feel like what it must have been like for this man who, whose beloved younger sister had died. He found out too late because, of course, there were no telephones. He found out from a family friend three days later than after she had died. Um, and he just sat there and grieved without his family. And so I sat there and tried to ignore the planes going overhead and the traffic and everything else. Right. <laughs> and just thought about what it was like for this man to learn that his his younger sister had died. And I felt that, again, Nathaniel was saying, please write this book. Please tell the world about my sister. Yeah. And that was one. That was another reason why I wrote it. Yeah, it's very interesting, you know the juxtaposition of you in the present time or recent times versus way back when. And, you know, you were talking about letter writing a while back, and I was thinking about, as an historian, that's wonderful that we have this, these prolific letter writers before the telephone, before, uh, certainly before the internet. And uh, so to have, uh, to have that as a record to rely on is wonderful. But I have to ask you with Louisa, so did you feel any connection there? And and also, where is she buried? Is she buried nearby? Did they ever recover her body? Yes, her body was recovered. Um, and in fact, uh, when it was recovered, what was used for identifying her body was a, a bar pin, which was um, a bar pin is just a straight, you know, a straight piece of silver that you pin onto your bodice. And this particular bar pin was a, a mourning pin for one of her aunts and a handkerchief with an H um, that, that had been embroidered on it. Um, those two things are also in the novel, uh, and they and and historically they had been given to Nathaniel um, because uh, as as things for him to to keep. Um, and uh, so uh, I'm sorry. So uh, as far as letters go, um, there were many many letters between Hawthorne and his sisters. Um, Louisa was actually buried in Salem. Her body was taken back to Salem, and she was buried in Salem next to her mother. Okay. Um, and uh, but Nathaniel Hawthorne and Louisa May Alcott and Henry David Thoreau are all buried on Authors Ridge in Sleepy Hollow in Concord. Okay. And so what I would do every month—this is true—every month I would go on a little pilgrimage to Sleepy Hollow, and I would stand in front of Hawthorne's grave, and I would say, "What do you want me to do?" And he would tell me what he wanted me to do as far as what chapters I should write and things like that. At least that's what I think. Yeah. No, and, and uh, I've heard several authors tell me about uh, whether they're writing fiction or nonfiction, having some kind of inspiration like that or connection or guidance. And and as a very rational person for many years, I, I would have poo-pooed that until I had an experience where I was working on the novels of Herbert Stover 
and wanted to bring those back. He had been a New York Times bestselling author, and we acquired the rights to them. And I wanted to go to his grave, and I ended up uh, going there with an elderly gentleman who knew what cemetery it was, but we had no idea among 5,000 graves which one was his. And I walked out in the cemetery and uh, was standing there, and I said to him, maybe we should uh, maybe we should call somebody. And then he says to me, Lawrence, you're standing on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked down, and sure enough, I had walked right into the cemetery, and I was standing right on Herbert Stoker's oh. grave, which is just bizarre. And also later on, another trip, uh, the elderly gentleman got me connected to his homestead, person living there then shares with me a bucket of old stories that he had written that had been forever hidden away for a hundred years. And so we published those. So it's almost like Herbert Stover connected somehow and guided these things to happen. Maybe, maybe not, but the coincidences are uncanny. <laughs> so, oh, well, that's fascinating. I, I, I've never been to this ridge you talk about. So you say Thoreau? Hawthorne, and who else is buried there? Louisa? Louisa May Alcott, yep. It's called Author's Ridge. It's just just part of the cemetery, but there's many, many little signs that lead you to it because, you know. So what's interesting is that on both Hawthorne's and Alcott's graves are bring coins. They bring all kinds of things. So the the wicked stepmother in Salem, is she buried there too? She (laughs) is buried, that's right, she's buried in Salem, yes, but she's buried in the Manning plot. Ah, okay. Very good. And I just have to ask real quick, we have a few seconds left in this segment. Anything on the witch history there, witch trials and and the family? Oh, life? so, okay. So, as you as you know, Hawthorne was related to, to a Hawthorne, a Judge Hawthorne. And the reason why Nathaniel uh, decided to put the W in his name was because he didn't want to be associated with Hawthorne, spelled H-A-T-H-O-R-N-E, uh. with, no, with no W. Gotcha. So Nathaniel, when I think he was 37 when he decided to do this, he decided that he would put the W in. And then because he became famous, his sisters and mother all decided to also change their names to H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E. Gotcha. Very fascinating. We're talking to Kate Blair, the author of The Hawthorne Inheritance. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings you the history of Pennsylvania. Check out Lancaster's Golden Century, 1821-1921 by H.M.J. Klein, Donald Kent's The French Invasion of Western Pennsylvania, or the Keystone Tombstone series written by Joe Farrell and Joe Farley. Click on the Books tab at sunburypress.com and find works of history, fiction, and nonfiction from the Keystone State. I'm back with Kate Blair, the author of The Hawthorne Inheritance. And uh, I, I wanted to get back to uh, the Middle, Middlebury Bookshop your, that your father owned and ran. Um, you had mentioned that in the opening, and I love bookstores. And when you started to mention Robert Frost and some of the other things, I, I just have to ask you to tell us a little more about that history in your family and how, how long was that bookstore his and how did he get started in that? Sure. So my father uh, had gone to Williams College, and in Williams College, in Williams, uh, there was a bookstore that was not affiliated with the college, but was just in the town. And my father, when he graduated, thought, this is what I want to do. I want to start a bookstore in a college town where, you know, there are intellectuals, if you want to say that. 
Um, and and other and town people, everybody wants a bookstore, right? So I want to start a bookstore in a college town. So first he worked for Doubleday uh, in New York for a long time, uh, for several years. And then he uh, moved to Middlebury and bought an old IGA um, uh, grocery store yeah. <laughs> and converted it into a bookstore. Um, and he was, it was a bookstore that, uh, many, many people really lauded because he didn't just have bestsellers and he had books that were, you know, spine out, not just, not just full front. He had many, many books that were not bestsellers that people, people would come to the store and say, Oh, I've been looking for this for a long time. I'm so glad to find it. And he also had, um, records and there was a record booth that you could go and listen to the records. That was a big draw for all the college students. Um, and I worked there for several years. I, I uh, started when I was, you know, young, and then every summer I would go in. And the funny thing about the bookstore and, or any place in town at that time was the language school, at the language school in Middlebury during the summer, you are not allowed to speak English. You are only allowed to speak whatever language it is that you're studying unless you go to a store. So all these people would come in and just start talking to us because they hadn't been able to talk in English for a very long time. Oh, so that was always entertaining. Um, so my father owned the store. He, the store lasted for about 40 years under his domain. And uh, then, as I said, he decided to sell because he, you know, he just felt that he couldn't keep up with things. And that was hard on him. Um, Frost, my, my, my father called Frost, Frost, and Frost called my father Blair. Okay. So Frost would come out for lunch. Uh, my mother would, would make a special meal for him, and she always made a special drink because he liked very sweet drinks. And uh, every uh, Christmas Eve, Frost would come to the store at about 5 o'clock, and he and my father would walk through the store, and my father would pick out books that he thought Frost would like to give to people. And Frost would say, Blair, you're the best bookseller ever because you know exactly what I want. Uh -huh. So that was that was my Robert Frost experience. And I was five-ish, you know, and so he was a tall man. So all I remember is looking up at him going, hello, Mr. Frost. I guess he took him down the aisles less traveled. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Very good. Uh, people are crashing their cars now listening to this, <laughs> laughing, I'm sure, at my dad joke. <laughs> no, that's awesome. It, and uh, do you know if it's still still in existence to this day? It is it was bought? We're now on the third owner. Wow! Um, I believe this owner's name is Becky. Um, very nice young woman has had it for several years now. Well, I'm headed up to Burlington in July, and I will swing through Middlebury and check it out. I've never been to it. But that's awesome, and an old IGA. So I'm, you know, there's plenty of those stores around. Like in the, in the fifties, they, the grocery stores started to come out, and those were fairly small compared to modern supermarkets. But they were still probably ten thousand square feet, maybe. So, that's a lot of books. I can only imagine. Yeah. That's like Barnes and Noble before Barnes and Noble was uh, was big. But so, my father did all the buying, you know, mm -hmm. and, and he had many, many, many books. Like, so what would your father say about this book? I like to think that he would be proud of it and say, good for you for, you know, taking some family history and, and helping people know about this young woman who uh, died tragically. And we don't, you know, 
your story is plausible and uh, it, it, if nothing else, it brings her out into the limelight and this is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I have to ask you too, I mean, we have a few minutes to go, but uh, with Louisa, when you were sitting up there or at any other point as you traveled over this, the spaces where she had lived, did you make any connections with her? Did you have any like feelings that she, uh, she was conveying something to you? Absolutely. I think she, she was grateful. Um, so my, my book has been through many, many, many drafts. Mm-hmm. I think that the reason why the original draft for which I had an agent didn't sell is because she didn't like that version. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She said, no, I don't like that. I think you need to change it. <laughs> so I did. And that, and thank you. Thank you to Sunbury Press for all your support in publishing my book. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, we we love historical fiction, and uh, this has an interesting mystery associated with it. Certainly a famous family, a famous individual connected to it, or famous individuals. And uh, so that makes it all all very appealing, and hopefully we can get more readers interested in it. Have you been uh, out in any events, anything that you could speak of, anything uh, where you got some feedback from people? So I've done several events, especially at councils on aging in the, in the region. Um, I have a PowerPoint presentation that I give with, you know, pictures of the people that we've just been talking about, except for Louisa. Unfortunately, there are no pictures of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certainly portraits of Nathaniel. There are portraits of his uh, wife and his children. And there are, you know, pictures of the historical houses that I visited. And uh, and then um I talk about the different people that were in those historical houses besides Hawthorne. There's also, of course, the Alcotts and the Emersons, you know, all that sort of the, the, the Concordians that we all know and love. Um, and the, I've done that now probably, mm, I'm going to say six or seven times. And I do the same sort of thing for book clubs. So I've, I've got a couple of book clubs coming up in July. And I'm hoping to do another Council on Aging um, uh, presentation also perhaps in July. So what are you writing? You got anything new in the works? <laughs> you have a lot of material here. Yes. Well, so as you mentioned, I am a, um, I'm an actor. I work uh, in the movies. And one of the things that I do is I am an extra. And in the industry, an extra is known as furniture that eats. <laughs> and so and so that is going to be, <clears throat> I believe, the title of my next book is Furniture go. That Eats. Tales of the Set, and I hope to tell some interesting stories about what it's like to be on a set. You know, I'd stand in for people. I don't know if you know this, but coffins are very uncomfortable. You know, I found that out because I had to lie on a coffin for a day. So things like that. Yeah. We uh, were also working on a book by Lawrence Luckinbill, the the actor, and I, I think he's got a lot of similar tales. I can't wait to see that. Uh, so, yeah, these kinds of books are fascinating, giving us the inside scoop on uh, on some of these productions. Kate, uh, it's been great talking to you. I can't believe we're already out of time. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this, Lawrence. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.